We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Jeff Erickson here. Today is Wednesday. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it is Wednesday, all day long. Uh, December 12th. Uh, we just finished the Ravens Steelers game. Got a lot to talk about. Starting up week 13, finally. Uh, with me today is uh, Brett Coleman. Uh, he is the host of The Film Room. Uh, he's got a, a great YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com uh, slash C slash Brett Coleman. That's two T's and two N's. Brett, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Uh, you do a lot of good stuff, including a recent breakdown on Carson Wentz. We'll, we'll get into that because there's some good meaty stuff there, I think. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about that all week. Uh, but I want to talk uh, first about today's game, uh, this afternoon's game, at least for us, afternoon, against the Steelers and the Ravens. You know, wild circumstances that they even got played in the first place, but uh, they kind of grinded through it anyhow. It wasn't as big of a farce as the uh, Saints-Broncos game, but it was certainly a compromised game. Yeah, and my kind of main takeaway with it is I think when you look at this Steelers versus Ravens game and then the one that happened, what, like three weeks ago, something like that over in Baltimore, you could probably play this game 15 times, and I think Baltimore would win the majority of them if they had their full team actually on the field uh when they played the first time baltimore controlled the game for most of it and then lamar just made two key mistakes he had kind of a boneheaded throw on the first drive that was a pick six and then uh later when he threw the the other pick to highsmith 
was because Highsmith recognized it was the exact same play out of the same formation that they ran earlier in the game. So he knew exactly to, when to float and where to go. And it was a great play by him. But that was kind of the difference in the game when Baltimore was controlling the game very well on the ground and then they got away from it. So it was kind of their own fault. Uh, as great as the Steelers are, like Baltimore had their number until that play. And then in this game, I think you could argue that Baltimore down a whole bunch of starters still putting up the fight they did. I, I think Baltimore is a better team than people give them credit for. And I think the Steelers have some weaknesses that maybe people gloss over just because they're 11 and 0. I, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, you start off, I mean, they lost, Baltimore lost two members of their secondary in this game, too. They lost, I mean, Jimmy Smith was early enough to make a pretty big loss and then losing Marcus Peters later on, too. Uh, you take away those two guys, and you know they should have been picked apart a little bit more. But they, you know, John Harbaugh, I, I can't get over how good of a coach he is, and I think it's a well-run organization too. Uh, you know, the, the ability to take a chance on Lamar Jackson, you know, in the first place. You know, I'm a Bengals fan, one of three on the West Coast, and I was screaming for them to take him, and you know, into the darkness because there's only three of us, and no one was really listening. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it just. You know, our, our guy Mario Puig was huge on Lamar, so he had sold me on him. And I was just like, yeah, let's take the chance. Andy Dalton's not – he's got a limited level. Oh, but we got him under contract. We don't need a quarterback. Oh, okay, great. Uh, and then you see it go in division. You're just like, come on. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting sidebarring because that's what I do. But uh, <laughs> I, I saw a lot of things in this game that were kind of interesting. You know, we saw you know, Hollywood Brown actually make a catch – make a big play finally. He only got – uh, only had four catches and everything else was pretty short, but he had eight targets. That, that's the sort of volume we haven't seen in a while out of him. And what's interesting is that last touchdown that he had uh, was like a 70 yarder or something like that. The Steelers were running the exact same coverage that they got the pick six on earlier. Right. Uh, it's kind of a cover two trap in Nick Saban language. They call it uh, five Cougar, where it's a trap coverage where it's basically cover two and the corner supposed to sink with the number one receiver outside. But if he sees the number two go to the flat, then he's supposed to jump it. That's what Joe Hayden did on the pick six. He saw the number two go to the flat, jumped it, picked it up and all that kind of stuff. And then Trace McSorley, who threw the touchdown, was clearly paying attention to that because they ran the same play or rather the same concept of that side. As soon as he saw Hayden jump the number two again, he unloaded it to the sideline, threw it to a great spot kind of in between the corner and the safety. And then uh, I think it was Edmonds that missed the tackle and you know, Hollywood runs four two. If you miss a tackle on him, he's gone. So I, right. I kind of found it interesting that, uh, you know, five Cougar giveth and five Cougar taketh away for the Steelers defense in this game. Yeah. Net zero. Uh, well actually in, in a net minus one point for the Steelers because they miss the extra point, but yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, that was interesting. I, I got frustrated with the Steelers. Uh, you know, they, they had, copious opportunities I, everyone's focusing at the end of the second quarter there uh, with the the, t- the Ravens time management uh and you know frankly I thought the Steelers were the team that should have been calling timeouts under the two minutes just so they could get a two-minute drill they're moving the ball so readily it was a chance to come away with some points and a half thinking that okay you're probably gonna you know get get the ball back get a chance but they didn't do it turns out it worked out in their favor because the Ravens ran the ball in the middle of the pile with no timeouts left but uh you know it, it, that that whole sequence was bothering bothersome yeah, and I mean, you you said it. People were saying, oh, that should have been a flag for the Steelers for delaying the game. It's like, well, don't run the ball with no timeouts. That's kind of your own fault. Like, what do you expect? That happens every single week. Like, of course, the defense is not going to get off the pile quickly. Like, that's just football. 
Right. So it's it's their own fault for running the ball with no timeouts. Right. And you know what? They still had five seconds left. They chose to run the play. They, they had it yeah. down. They could have gotten the points still. You know, that, that, yeah. that's the thing that was really kind of crazy about that. You only got a guy named Justin Tucker. He's not any good. You know, you don't. I mean, granted, <laughs> anybody could have kicked that field goal. That's an actual field goal kicker. Not anybody. As we've seen, like, I thought this week was great as a great illustration of the, you know, well, I can throw a ball. I can complete a pass in the NFL. No, probably couldn't. Uh, if a guy that was a, college, a great athlete, maybe not a good quarterback, but a great athlete that has experience playing quarterback can only complete one pass in an entire game for the Broncos, that, that's a good illustration of the man off the street principle there. Yeah, I mean, the guy uh, was a starting D1 quarterback yeah. for multiple years, and he still went one for nine with two picks. Right. And so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, it's pretty wild. But, uh, you know, losing Bud Dupree, he's got a torn ACL. He's out for the season. That That's a huge loss for the Steelers. Yeah, and, and Dupree's really come on in the last two to three years from where he was kind of early in his career as a rookie. He was very raw coming out of Kentucky, but ultra, ultra athletic. Um, and you were kind of just gambling on the talent because he had one of the best first steps that I've ever seen in a in an edge rushing prospect like he had a 40 inch vert at 265 which is just insane uh just lightning quick first step but he he really evolved into a dominant run defender uh very good pass rush on the outside he's one of their better players on defense um now lucky for them they did take alex highsmith to be a depth option at edge for them this year he's going to get more playing time because of this injury but you know anytime you lose a player of bud debris quality regardless of what your depth is it's going to hurt yeah, it, it really will. Uh, not, and not even his uh, first injury of the year, too. Uh, and the thing is, all these things have happened poorly for the Steelers, whether it's no, no buy, no real buy or anything like that. There's, they still got this banking record, at least. But, yeah, this, this is going to be a big challenge for them. And the schedule's going to pick up for them, too. Uh, they, they, they've, they, got, they got to play the Ravens when they're shorthanded. They had the Bengals. They had the Jaguars. Now it picks up. Now they get uh, the football team at Buffalo coming up, a game against Indy later on at Cleveland isn't a walkover either could be tough yeah especially the the indie game because we assume that by then indy's finally going to be healthy again and have a lot of their key players off the COVID list they didn't have buckner this past week they didn't have okariki uh, you know when the colts even though they got run over by the titans it, this past week when the colts played them the first time when they actually did have their starting defense on the field they beat them pretty handily so i i think the colts defense when they're healthy is a top three to five defense very easily in the league. Very good run defense, phenomenal pass rush. And I'm assuming Buckner is going to be off the COVID list before that game. Uh, and so will Okariki. And again, that's, that's, that's going to be a really hard game, especially because Rivers has also seen the Steelers defense many, many times. Uh, and he already knows what they like to do. Yeah, and losing a, a great edge rusher against Rivers, because, I mean, that's the one thing that, you know, really throttles Rivers is a good pass rush. Uh, you know, taking that away, you know, that's a huge, huge impact in that game for sure. Yeah, and, and the Bills game is probably going to be a pretty good one too because Josh Allen is, man, he's a whole different animal this year. He's going to be tough for them to handle. Yeah, absolutely right, absolutely. Uh, so we'll see about that. Uh I want to pivot over to uh, the Eagles, Carson Wentz. You did a breakdown in the film room and use that as kind of an entry to uh, for you to explain to everybody what you do and uh, how you go about doing it. Yeah, so I, I have a few different formats that I do on the YouTube channel. Uh, the main show that I do is called The Film Room. And in that one, I'll 
usually just kind of sit in front of my camera and have a drink in hand and show some film and kind of explain um, certain things that maybe happened in the week before or maybe kind of break down an upcoming matchup or look at a certain team or scheme or player, just kind of whatever I feel like doing for that week. And this past week, um, a lot of my followers were requesting that I talk about the regression of Carson Wentz and why he has you know, went from being an MVP front runner in 2017 to a, to be honest, not even starter quality quarterback in 2020. And so over the 20 minutes of that episode, I I go through his mechanical problems, his hero ball tendencies, and the things that Doug Peterson has done that's made him an even worse version of himself as well. And uh, there's a lot of information in it, but I I do highly recommend watching it because I think it'll kind of give some more context to why Carson Wentz kind of sucks now. Yeah. It, it's not, you know, the offensive line's a part of it, but it's not the only part of it. And it's a lot of it's on Carson himself too. Yeah. I, there's a lot of quarterbacks that don't have great protection. I mean, you're a Bengals fan. You yes. saw Joe Burrow have almost no protection all year long. Uh, and before his gruesome knee injury, I mean, he was making it work. He was playing extremely well and carrying that Bengals offense almost by himself. So, you know, Deshaun Watson early in his career when he had terrible protection was great. Russell Wilson had even worse protection than all of them, and he was great. So I don't really accept pressure as an excuse anymore, especially for a big, strong, mobile quarterback that that should be able to handle it. Uh, it, It's kind of a new age of quarterbacking where if you can move, which Carson Wentz can move, not as well as he used to be able to, but he still can, then, you know, pressure is not really an excuse to me. Yeah, I agree. I, and I, I, I saw from multiple outlets, like, why aren't you rolling out Wentz more often? Why aren't you having more design plays like that? You know, take advantage of that. Or, and for that matter, use the personnel that can make plays. You know, Miles Sanders had a drop, bad drop in that game, but he was woefully underutilized in that game, too. I think they're kind of afraid of throwing to Miles Sanders at this point. He leads the NFL among all running backs and drops this year. And a lot of them have been very easy catches. I almost feel like Doug Peterson's just very reluctant to design anything for him anymore. Uh, I think he misses Darren Sproles a lot. I think you're right. I mean, I think it was pretty telling. We saw Boston Scott in there at the end of the game uh, when they were kind of doing the two-minute drill. Yeah, they just they don't trust Sanders' hands at all, which for fantasy purposes, obviously impacts Sanders' value a lot because if they're down in the fourth quarter and he's not on the field – it's it's going to impact you a lot. Yeah, it sure it sure will. Uh, I mean, and he's got a what appears to be a fairly positive matchup against the Packers this week. We saw David Montgomery have his best game of the season against them last week. We've seen other running backs have pretty good games against them as well. But that, and I actually my first set of rankings, I do have Sanders in my top ten among running backs this week. But that kind of throws a little cold water on that, perhaps. If they get down early. I think Boston Scott will get, you know, more snaps when they're down by two or three scores uh, simply because they're going to have to throw. I I think Sanders can be productive if it's a close game or a back and forth game or somehow if the Eagles are winning, I think Sanders will absolutely feast because the the Green Bay run defense is not very good at all. And Sanders, at least in terms of carrying the ball, is a good player. But just on game script, I'm a little bit worried about it because if they get torched like we kind of think they will, just because they're not a good football team, the snap counts might be very heavily affected. Yeah, we could see a little bit of uh, Twitter rage on that then for sure, uh, especially from anyone that, that did take the plunge of Sanders this year. Uh, um, yeah, it, it, that's frustrating. 
Uh, let's talk about a couple other big news items of the week. Uh, we got uh, a couple of in- injury cases here. Uh, Dalvin Cook was limited today in practice, had uh, the ankle injury against Carolina. Uh, looks like he's ready to go is what they- they're saying, but are-, are you a little reticent about him at all this week? Uh, what-, what are your thoughts on Dalvin Cook? If he's playing, you have to start him. Yep. Like I, you just do like, I get it's week 13. People are in the playoffs. Don't overthink it. If he got you there, leave him there. And I would rather go down with the ship with Dalvin getting five carries and have them lie to us. I would rather go down that way than get in my own head and play some other lesser running back, uh, and then have Dalvin go off. Like, again, if he got me there, I'm leaving him in. Right. Especially against Jacksonville. You know, with so many starters on yes. IR. I mean, yes. yeah, absolutely. And plus, you know, I'll say this for Zimmer. He, he's one of the least likely to lie coaches out there. He'll still lie a little bit, but he, he's no Bruce Arians. No, Bruce will straight up lie to your face. Yes. I don't. I don't bother with Bruce Arian running backs anymore. If Rojo's on your team and he's getting you points, great. If, if Leonard somehow snipes a touchdown and gets you some points, great. I'm not going to own any of them anymore. I don't bother. Yeah, I after this year, I'm going to be in that boat. I was already that way at Tampa Bay tight ends. I, I don't have any Gronk this year, uh, in, in part because of that. But yeah, just because of the O.J. Howard experience last year and how, how frustrating that was. He just he's a lying liar that lies, and it, it's very difficult. He you know this week alone, he said, "Oh, Rojo needs to get 20 touches a game." That means he's going to get. <laughs> yeah, no, he's they'll they'll each get 12. That's that's what it is. Ah, uh, we can. More, more, more videos of Fournette running into the pile. That'll be fun. <laughs> Let's get that Trent Richardson vision. But uh, before we move on, quick note from our uh, sponsors at PropSwap. Smart sports bettors always know where to find the best odds before placing a bet, and that's why smart bettors list, use PropSwap. You can always find the best odds on PropSwap because you're buying directly from other bettors like yourself. See a ticket you like but think the price is too high? Submit a bid for a price you think is fair, then buy it. Prop swap sellers are always willing to negotiate. We all know bookies never will. And for a limited time, our listeners can get up to $500 in bonus cash. Just use the promo code ROTO500. That's promo code ROTO500, and Prop Swap will match your first deposit up to $500. Become a smarter sports better today. Go to PropSwap.com or download the Prop Swap app. I'm Jeff Erickson here with Brett Coleman. You can follow Brett on Twitter at Brett Coleman. That's B R E E B R E T T. K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. And, of course, see his uh, film room breakdowns on YouTube. Uh, I'm talking a little Kyler Murray here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm concerned. He's not running as, as, as well or as often ever since he hurt his shoulder in the Thursday night game against Seattle. Yeah, I've, I've been a little bit worried, too. Uh, at first I was thinking, okay, maybe it's the offensive line, but then I looked it up and – you know, both of these tackles for Arizona are actually like putting up elite numbers in terms of pressures allowed. Like the offensive line has been fine, maybe not in terms of run blocking, but in terms of pass protection, they've been fine. Um, I do think that Kyler's shoulder has been bothering him because he's not pushing the ball down the field as much as, which is kind of, you know, what he was best at was throwing really good fades and kind of taking advantage of isolation matchups. And uh, now that they're kind of forced more into quick game, the offense has just kind of lacked that 
dynamic element. Uh, and I think we, that, that was a big reason why we saw the interception against New England is because they knew, like, hey, he's not going to be launching it with a high trajectory down the field. So let's just get our hands up in throwing lanes because he's going to have right. to throw it quick. Then they batted it down and picked it off. So uh, I'm not quite sure what exactly is wrong with his shoulder, but I think it's fair to say it's definitely bothering him. And uh, I'm I'm curious to see where that's going to lead for the rest of the season, because if this doesn't go away, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about every single Cardinals offensive player for the entire fantasy playoffs. Absolutely. And this week you get a game against the Rams. That can't be great. You know, trying to deal with the pass rush. Jalen Ramsey's a little less than 100%, played 50 snaps against the Niners. So he's got a little bit of a hip thing is, I think, how Sean McVay phrased it. But, you know, I'm worried about Hopkins this week. Um, you know, and the thing is, these guys have carried you this far. I mean, you're, it's week 13. How can you not play Kyler Murray if you have him? Yeah, I again, it's another one of those things. It's just like Dalvin. It's like if he got yeah. there, you got to play him. Although quarterback is a little bit different because it's so deep. Like if you have, uh, I don't know, Kirk Cousins on your bench because he went as like QB 15 in a lot of leagues. Uh, right. I, I can't remember who the Vikings are playing this week, but Jackson. again, oh, then yeah, like, you know, yeah. fire up Kirk Cousins. Like it's, it's okay in that regard. But if your backup quarterback is, uh, God, I don't even know who a decent QB two that a lot of people rostering are right now. Maybe Alex Smith, something like right, that. Like, right. you know, if you have like a low, low tier QB two, then yeah, you, you kind of have to play Kyler. So it just depends on who your backup is. It depends on who the matchup is, which is, I'm, I'm sure is making up a lot of your questions this week. Cause it's making up a lot of mine. Right. Um, but it's, it's very case by case basis. Yeah. So I, I came out with my first set of rankings last night. I always come out on Tuesday uh, and I have Cousins 7 and Kyler 9 right now. So I would go Cousins. I think a tough call, you know, a couple of guys in the neighborhood, Kyler Murray versus Derek Carr. Derek Carr coming off a huge, disappointing game against Atlanta where we, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, got to start Carr this week, self-included, and just laid a huge egg. Now he gets the Jets. Uh, you know, who are yeah. the Jets? I mean, it, it, I don't know what to trust there. So I, right now I've got Murray over Carr, but it's it's a pretty shaky feeling there. Isn't it fascinating that all of these quarterbacks that were outside of the top 12 QBs for redraft this year are still playing at a startable level, though? Because the fact that there's even a discussion of like, well, do I play Kyler? Do I play Carr? Um, You know, Justin Herbert was a guy that people probably went undrafted in a lot of leagues or maybe like the 14th round. Um, You know, Goff is... He's not great, but he's startable. Like there's a lot of startable options. And uh, I, I think these exact situations late in the season are the reason why I tend to wait on quarterback when drafting, because I know instead of getting, you know, a Deshaun in round four, I'd rather get a good running back in round four and then come back and get two high end QB twos that I can just kind of play the matchups with because I, I kind of like that strategy a lot better, and this exact scenario is why. Yeah, and for about half the season, you know, it was the victory tour for Wilson, you know, Dak, and then Watson's really come on lately, obviously, and of course uh, Kyler. But lately, that's just kind of getting turned on its head a little bit. Now, I know you do a lot of college scouting too, and a lot of combine scouting. And, you know, you prep for the draft. What was your look on Herbert coming into the season? He is so much different than he was at Oregon. I mean, it's 
flabbergasting. Yeah. You know, his, his accuracy percentage, like not in terms of completion percentage, but the actual like ball on target accuracy percentage, like, like catchable balls was extremely low. Like one in every five of five of his passes, 15 yards down the field was inaccurate, which is very, very low, like not even catchable. Um, 25% of his attempts were screen passes, which is 8% more than the highest level we had ever seen in the NFL, which was Kyler Murray. He was at 18%. So that would have broken an NFL record by a lot. And when I was looking at him, I was like, okay, so he's inaccurate. He makes really bad reads against zone coverage. Like you look at the picks he threw against Arizona state. They were terrible. Uh, He's got a great arm, great athlete. Like he'll make wow throws every single week, but the turnovers were a problem. The accuracy was a problem. And the fact that it didn't seem like his coaches trusted him to move the ball down the field was a problem. And then all of a sudden he goes to the chargers and he's great under pressure. He's great at reading zone coverage. He's accurate down the field. And the coaches trusted him. So I'm like, where the hell did this come from? I I think it just it speaks to the quality or rather lack of quality of the Oregon coaching staff and the quality of uh, Pep Hamilton, the quarterback's coach for the Chargers, to literally transform this guy in one very limited offseason into a great starting quarterback. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, so many times you talk about that, you know, where a guy lands is so important. Uh, when we were evaluating his draft, yeah, look at Sam Darnold. I mean, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. where he stepped in there. If he had stepped into a better situation, maybe we'd be talking. A whole, uh, the story on him would be a whole lot different. You know, uh, and it, it is it is funny because yeah, I remember like the last like the last week before the start of the regular season, there was a note coming out of uh, the Chargers camp that Herbert was having a hard time picking up the offense. He was unlikely to play a whole lot, you know, because there was a lot of people. When's Tua going to play? We know Burrow's going to play right off the the bat. But you know, like, be prepared for Tyrod Taylor to play most of the season. Well, that you know, obviously one bad medical, one bad doctor later, and we're t- we're talking week two, and he's playing right away and looking good all of a sudden. Well, how did it change so fast? I think it was a great adjustment by that coaching staff, where they're like, "Look, we have one thing really going for us on offense, and that's that we have great wide receivers." So we're basically going to be the same thing as like an isolation team in basketball. We are going to run four verts. We are going to get our receivers one-on-one as in scheming them one-on-one. So we're going to occupy the safeties with Hunter Henry. We're going to make sure that Keenan Allen cannot be doubled. Uh, You know, we're going to throw post-up balls to Mike Williams outside. Like we are going to take advantage of our skill position talent and just let Herbert throw it deep. Because yeah. if we if we try to make him hold the ball and do all these long progressions where he has to like look off safeties and this and that, like all that kind of stuff, he's going to get bogged down in his own head. So let's just make it easy on him, play isolation out there, uh, and it's worked. It's worked brilliantly for them. Uh, the only games where he was like really really struggling, like the the Panthers game is a good example where it's like, hey, we're playing zone coverage all day long. We're taking away the deep ball you're going to have to throw it a lot and work the quick game and use your eyes and all that kind of stuff to, to move it against. And he couldn't do it. So I think that's going to be the key to stopping Herbert, at least until he gets more comfortable is take away the deep ball and make him do everything else. I think that's, a, I think that's a great point. I, I was wondering, has he perhaps been solved a little bit? He was, he wasn't terribly efficient against the bills. Uh, the Miami game, he wasn't efficient at all. Uh, and I almost wonder like, are some at least you have to have the talent to be able to stop them but you know you know because obviously the jets couldn't do that but you know i I almost wonder if like teams are kind of honing in on what you're pointing out and maybe is is like for instance did miami play that same way against him 
Uh, Miami played a lot of man coverage, but just the fact that they have really good DBs, like yeah. they can get away with it. You know, uh, the pick that Xavier Howard has, that was in a, a cover three where like they bluffed zero and then backed out to cover three. Um, so again, zone coverage, it's an issue, but even when they are in man, like they're one of the teams that can, you know, sit there and be like, okay, you want to play isolation ball? We can do that. We got the horses too. But again, Miami's kind of an exception to the rule in that regard. True. That's a good point. They face New England this week. I kind of like New England's cover corners. Uh, I think Jackson's kind of stepped up at at times as well. Early on, he was getting burnt a a lot, but he's had his his other games where he he stepped up pretty strong. What do you think uh, about that match of Herbert versus the Pats? You know, the the Patriots' defense is fascinating to me because their total yards allowed isn't bad. Um, There's a lot of their like total metrics aren't bad, but their efficiency metrics are really really bad, especially in run defense. Like they're they're the 31st ranked DVOA on defense in the entire league, which again is not because they give up a ton of yards, but in like key situations, you know, third downs, two minute, all that kind of stuff. Like they 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 tend to struggle a little bit, which is why I was it was kind of interesting to see them uh, have success in terms of situations. Uh, like situational football against the Cardinals on defense. But again, maybe we could talk about Kyler's injury being a big thing for that. But like, that was the first time all year where it's like, okay, they're good on third down. They're good in short yardage. They're good in hurry up situation. Like they were actually like checking all the boxes for once. They haven't been able to do that all year. So I am very curious to see if, you know, maybe they lean more on the run game with Eckler because the Patriots run defense has not been very good. Um, You know, maybe it's a lot of like, okay, we'll get into third and four and then just call rub routes. Like, maybe kind of take advantage of new England's lack of good situational defense. Are they going to be able to, you know, air it out down the field? Probably not. But if they can just run the ball with Eckler and then keep every single third down less than six yards, I think they, they might be okay here. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's, it's wild watching new England, you know, the Monday night game against the jets where Joe Flacco, who's Joe Flacco tearing apart downfield where he's throwing heat check balls. Now, of course that kind of backfired badly for him but they they provided pressure like once all game in that game and then they turned around and, and, and shut down baltimore in the monsoon although baltimore was even moving the ball in that game too you know then they get just totally throttled by houston all game long and then last week they shut down arizona it's just kind of a heckle and jive sort of situation there and the, the houston game was like a good indicator of you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. Like they're going to play man coverage and say, go beat us. Right. But it was another one of those things where it's like, if they can't get pressure in key third downs and Deshaun Watson has four seconds to throw and he's throwing a crossing route, which is great against man coverage. Like that's part of the reason why they're so bad in terms of situational football is that they can't get pressure. And so regardless of how good their DBs are, they can't cover for four seconds. Nobody can. So that's going to be key for them against Herbert is actually putting him under pressure in less than three or four seconds or else he's just going to be able to sit back there and throw it to Keenan all day yeah you're right and that that game was an interesting contrast because Houston made a point of pressuring uh, Cam all day long like they Mm -hmm. were bringing extra rushers all the time on third down and it worked to a certain extent I mean Cam uh you know hit some plays later but uh it, it was a big problem for them early on and New England didn't do that. You could just tell. I mean, they were they were just running the basic four, and you know it just wasn't working. Plus, there's just not a whole lot of weapons for New England right, right now, and so you're not super 
penalized for for leaving you know Nikhil Harry one-on-one like uh, you know Rex Burkhead back when he was healthy one-on-one like none of these guys were absolutely going to rip the game open for you like uh you know back in 2011 where you had prime Gronk and Hernandez where like you couldn't afford to leave those guys one-on-one or you know going back to Randy Moss and Welker in his prime and Edelman in his prime like they used to have a lot of weapons that you uh, you absolutely could not handle one-on-one Right. And now they got nobody. They, yeah. they got Jacoby Myers and a bunch of other dudes. And that's why whiffing on Nikhil Harry is such a bad whiff. And so, so it hurts them so much. Oh, my God. I, on draft night, I literally tweeted out when Nikhil Harry got drafted. It was like, there is no reason on planet Earth to draft Nikhil Harry over DK Metcalf. And I got roasted at the time saying, well, DK Metcalf's three cone was terrible. He turns like a battleship. And I was like, I don't care. The dude runs four or three and he's really good at slants. That's all you need. Right. <laughs> now look at him you know yeah. it's uh it's frustrating yeah um yeah yeah harry harry over metcalf and then uh of course uh sony michelle over chubb that th- those are two things that might come back to haunt yeah and what's what's interesting is i uh in in the draft class that damian harris was coming out i actually had him over david montgomery in my rankings that year he was my third ranked running back behind uh miles sanders and Who's who's the the back? I think was that Saquon's year. It might have been Saquon's year, um, but I know that Miles Sanders was the number two and Harris was the number three. And, and again, I got a lot of flack for that one. And I was like, look, the, the guy's got good vision. He's got good power, and he's got more breakaway speed speed than Montgomery. If he ever gets his chance, he's going to be productive. And now we're seeing him be better than Sony Michelle. So I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up as like their long term back there. Because I think he's just a straight-up better player than Sony Michel. He certainly looks the part right now. I'd like to see him get a few more looks at the goal line, but that's part of that's life with Cam. Uh, but Oh, yeah, you're never going to get goal line touchdowns as long as Cam's there. Right. And yet James White got two of them last week. No, one target for negative yards. You know, We thought, okay, he'll get tons of targets like he did against Houston, but then Harris will get the runs. No, it was White that got the goal line carries. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks. Honestly, if people are drafting Patriots running backs at this point after 20 years, it's your own fault. That's also that's also really good. <laughs> that's, that's a really good point. It's like, yeah. does nobody remember Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis? Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's And that's the thing is like there was the one year where someone gets like 15 touchdowns. Like, you can't ignore that. Yeah, because they're good at it, but it's someone different every time. Yeah. So. Jonas Gray or or whatever his name, the, you know, the 400 oh yard four touchdowns against the Colts and sleeps <laughs> yeah. on Wednesday and does, never plays again. But <laughs> That's the Patriots. Yeah. I wanted to, you mentioned Metcalf. I want to talk about Seattle. Uh, you did also did a, a, a YouTube video on the D, uh, Seattle defense and just, and while they've gotten a little better last week, some of, some of that might be Wentz aided, uh, but they've got some massive problems and Jamal Adams has actually been part of that. Yeah, he's he's been really good in certain facets. Um, obviously, he's been phenomenal as a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. He's good as a run defender. But there's been a lot of coverage busts by him in this system. And it seems like he's kind of freelancing a little bit, which maybe he was used to that uh, in Greg Williams' system where he could freelance and everybody else would just kind of play around him. But Seattle, it's a very regimented structured defense you have to be in the right place at the right time Uh, it's all about communication it's all about structure it's all about timing and if you if you're not great in a structure 
you know, like Troy Polamalu was great out of the structure of the defense. Uh, and, and Jamal Adams really patterns his game after him. If you're not great in a structure, there's going to be coverage bus. Right. And Jamal Adams, I think, has been the victim of that multiple times over. Now, they had other problems, too. Like even Bobby Wagner was missing assignments. Um, you had Quentin Dunbar playing out there on one leg who's getting victimized. Like none of their corners are playing well. Really, the only thing they had going for him was a decent pass rush, which has gotten better every single week. Uh, And so it was it was kind of hard to watch. And I think it's taken a while for Jamal to kind of play within the structure of the defense. And he's still not doing it completely, but he is getting better at it. My hope for them is that by the end of the season, as we get into the playoffs, Jamal freelances a little bit less and plays his assignments a little bit more because I would rather him you know, limit big plays from the offense, uh, consistently then generate big plays for the defense. Yeah. I, I, I like that take. Uh, they added Carlos Dunlap that helped a little bit in the pass rush. He got hurt a little bit though. And, uh, he may not be able to go this week. Uh, you were pointing out that they're getting a, a good inside pass rush as well from the defensive tackles. Yeah. Puna Ford's been just awesome for them. I mean, he's been really, really good for them. Uh, probably their their best interior pass rusher by a mile. I was a little bit worried that they let Quentin Jefferson go to Buffalo because he was also very good for them. But Puna's stepped up in a huge way. I think he's in a contract year, so they're probably going to have to pay him a pretty significant amount of money because he's worth it. Um, but man, he's been a hell of a story. Again, undrafted kid out of Texas. Uh, you know, a lot of people weren't sure if he was going to make the roster cause he wasn't super big, but really, really strong for his size, exceptionally quick, great hands. Uh, he's just, he's a really tremendous player. Yeah, he, he is. Uh, they'll, that'll be a, t- that's going to be tough for them to manage everything. Their cap situation has been pretty tight to begin with lately. Uh, I got to imagine uh, coming up this next year, it could be uh, uh, pretty tough as well. They've got, uh, yeah, that's one of the things they were kind of limited in some of the things they could do this uh, during the midseason to try to make some trades. Like, for instance, when they had so many offensive linemen go down. Yeah, I think that's also part of the reason why they didn't re-sign Clowney because they knew, like, we we don't have a lot of money. Like, they have a lot of money next year, but they didn't have a whole lot for this year. But I also know that they were wary of committing a lot of money to next year because they weren't sure how the cap was going to be affected by COVID. Right. So. They just kind of ate it for this year. They were being conservative because they didn't want to take on a whole bunch of contracts that they weren't going to be able to, you know, honor, basically. Uh, but Puna, I think, is going to be a, a high priority for them to keep regardless. Is Clowney worth the money anyhow? I, I'm not. When he's on the field, when he's on the field, he's really good, but he's, he's hurt constantly or just I don't remember the last time he played a game at 100 percent. Right. But when he is at 100 percent, he's a great player. That's just kind of a rarity. Yeah, and then that, 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 that to to your point now, he's got no timeline for a return from his knee injury, so uh, he's not. El- you know, he's. I don't think he's eligible this week. I think it's next week, and he's first eligible. But yeah, uh, that you know, it, it's a shame. He wanted to see. You know, full clowny would have been fun to see. Uh, as we all remember him in college and what a force he was there. Yeah, and I, I still remember like his first game in Houston. Uh, he was jumping to like knock down a pass and tweaked his knee. And then that ended up being a problem for like two years. Cause it was a meniscus injury. They had to go do micro fracture surgery. And then they had to use this, uh, physical therapy technique that was pioneered by the Rangers called blood flow restriction, which was like this just crazy new thing. That's it's common now, but at the time it was right. not, he was the first NFL player to get it. So that, that knee, well, both knees honestly have been an issue 
forever. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not really surprised by this. Yeah. Unfortunate. I want to talk Houston, but before we do that, uh, quick note from our friends at BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with RotoWire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website, and once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of RotoWire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522 4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Jeff Erickson here with Brett Coleman from The Film Room. Uh, we want to talk a little Houston. I, you have a righteous screed on there about what Bill O'Brien did to this franchise. Oh my God. He's, I'm a Texans fan and he's just crushed us. Yeah. You know, the, the amount of trades that he made to get rid of top talent while prioritizing lesser talent that costs more money. And it's not just the Deandre Hopkins thing which I'm never one to advocate trading DeAndre Hopkins, but he did that. But then the return you get, okay, you get a washed up running back that costs a lot of money. And then you use the second round pick that you also get in that trade to get Brandon cooks in an absolutely loaded wide receiver class that has all these guys coming in and producing like, you know, Claypool and Mooney was a fifth rounder and he's been an impact player for the bears. Like, and Brandon cooks costs a lot of money too. It's like 48 million over the next three years. So it's, it's not just the fact that you're trading away your best players. It's that you're getting no value back from it at all. Right. So not only do we have no draft picks, but we have no money and now no talent, which means we have virtually no hope. I, I have never seen other than maybe chip Kelly with the Eagles, somebody absolutely gut a franchise in like a two to three year period. But here we are. How did he get the keys to the GM job in the first place? Uh, Cal McNair is a very gullible person. <laughs> and I think he falls for snake oil salesman. Salesman. He does the exact thing with, with Jack Easterby, who has no qualifications to run an NFL team, by the way. His only qualification prior to coming to Houston was being the, the team chaplain for the Patriots. Like he's, he's never run an NFL franchise, and now we're trusting him to be in charge of a GM search? And he once said hello to Bill Belichick. Uh, it's insane. Like, what? why is this dude running the team? But it's because Cal McNair trusts him for some reason, and nobody knows why. Nobody, and I mean nobody in Houston media, has any idea why Jack Easterby is running the team. And they have no idea how Bill O'Brien was able to win that power struggle against Rick Smith, who was almost unassailable in the organization. Like, he's the godfather of Cal McNair's kids, and Bill O'Brien still managed to win that power struggle. I don't. I don't get it. Unbelievable. That it's that's wild. Uh, and so, yeah. The, the, even though they they've played so much better since they purged themselves of Bill O'Brien, the damage has already been done. And you're not very optimistic about their immediate future then either, huh? No, nah, because they they have nothing to look forward to. You know, Miami has their picks. They've got 
a whole bunch of money tied up in players that aren't worth it. Uh, you know, it, Deshaun, it's basically our team is like Deshaun Watson, JJ Watt, and maybe Will Fuller next resign him. But again, he's a free agent and that's about it. Like we don't, we don't have a whole lot else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bradley Roby's a free agent too, if I recall correctly. Uh, I, I think he is, you know, you got Charles Amenahu, who's a young player that we, you know, we got Reed at safety. Who's a young player that we like, you know, Zach Cunningham's good against the run, but it's not like he's a premier linebacker. Like there's, there's not a whole lot of top shelf talent on the team outside of Deshaun and JJ. Whereas we look back in previous years, you know, you had an elite receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. You had an elite number two receiver in Will Fuller. You had an elite left tackle at the time in Dwayne Brown, who fun fact gives up pressures at the exact same rate as Laramie Tunsil, but costs half as much money. You know, they had all this elite talent and, you know, Clowney was there. Glover Quinn was there once upon a time and they shipped him off in favor of the corpse of Ed Reed. Like the, the amount of great talent that has left the Houston Texans since Bill O'Brien took over is staggering. It is. It really is. And you, you combine that with horrible in-game management, you know, especially in terms of like critical, like, you know, decisions, like when to go for it, when to punt time management, all that stuff, you know, that, which is a lot of NFL coaches are guilty of that, but it, it's, it's really frustrating to see when you're, you know, yeah, he, like he did some good things. Like they came ready to play a lot of times, but there, there's many other features in a head coach that you need, or, and especially when you combine that with GM duties. You know, I, I, I fail to see why so, the list of co- uh, coaches that that also can successfully successfully you know control all the personnel management it's really thin. I think we all should have maybe thought something was wrong in Deshaun's rookie year, where he's in Foxborough. Keep in mind, this is Deshaun's rookie year, his second or third ever start. They're beating the Patriots late in the fourth quarter. They need one first down to win that game. And for Deshaun to to go down as a legend for being one of the only rookie quarterback to beat Bill Belichick and Tom Brady in Foxborough. They could have done it. It was fourth and two. You just need that first down. And what do they do? They call an ISO run with Deonta Foreman instead of keeping the ball in Deshaun Watson's hands. Uh, uh. Unbelievable unbelievable so it gets stopped obviously brady gets the ball back and then he throws a bomb to ironically brandon cooks to win that game yep and that's bill o'brien that's what he does reminds me of brian schottenheimer's fascination with jet sweeps uh oh my god and fourth down no less and we saw that again monday night but he also did it with the falcons uh, against the Pats in Foxborough, one of those sunday night games I, i vividly recall that it's like hey let's let's find a way to get the your like 10th most talented player, the ball in a critical situation, let him make a play. Sure. Why not? Let's go. And, and moving laterally. Yeah. <laughs> Seems fun. Seems fun. Uh, okay. I want to talk about one more guy, uh, you know, again, going back to uh, maybe another rookie disappointment this time in Jonathan Taylor uh, is my question for you is, is his struggles are his struggles when he has struggled incumbent on like the play calling? Is it the blocking scheme or is it his vision or some combination thereof. What's your take on Taylor? The offensive line hasn't been great, for sure. Um, but I do think that vision has been a little bit of an issue. Uh, and I, I think running a more north-south type of run scheme, like he's very used to you know, getting a lot of toss plays and outside zone when he was at Wisconsin, which 
it's kind of a different style of reading. It's, it's kind of strung out a little bit further. You have more time. It's about reading leverages. And then you just kind of work from outside to inside from lane to lane to lane. Whereas if you're running like inside zone or duo or power or something like that, it hits a lot earlier in terms of the timing of the place. You have less time to read it. Uh, it's more of a kind of an instinctual kind of read. And it, again, it's just a lot faster some guys are really only good at reading outside zone. Some guys are really only good at reading power or inside zone uh, or ISO. Like Adrian Peterson always said he felt more comfortable running behind a fullback. Right. Because the fullback could kind of like take a little bit of the load off of him in terms of reading where to go. And he would just follow the fullback and then just see which side of his jersey the opponent's color would end up on. And he would just cut the other way. So. I, I think maybe they could try that with Taylor of just having him follow lead blocks from fullbacks a little bit more that can almost make the decision for him. But I think he's clearly not comfortable reading this style of offense yet. And I think uh, either they have to run more outside zone like they did at Wisconsin or they have to give him a fullback that can kind of take a little bit of the work away from him. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, he showed a little bit of that promise last week or not last week, two weeks ago against Green Bay. And then, of course, missed the game because of covid last week uh you know it, it maybe it does take some time you know all, often we say running backs are plug and play but there's still development there too yeah and, and there's still some guys who struggle in certain roles or struggle in certain schemes like it's not like austin eckler as good as he is it's not like he's a a great runner in between the tackles in terms of like getting yards through contact either he's more of a shake and bake guy out in space and he's, he's another guy who's like really good in outside zone. He's really good in the toss game. But if you're asking him to run duo and just kind of shove his nose in there and get four yards, that's not really his game either. Whereas like Leonard Fournette, you know, it's like, Hey, Leonard, go run into the pile and get his three yards. And he can do that, but he's not great at reading outside zone. So it's, there are some guys that, that can do certain things, but not everything. And then there's guys like Christian McCaffrey that do do everything. And, and that's why they're so rare. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I love hearing all the, like the, you know, your knowledge of the schemes and all that. What's your background? How did you get into this? How did you start uh, doing your own channel? How did you get into all of this? So I actually worked at uh, NFL network for five years. I was in the production side and the channel started as kind of like a proof of concept for my producers at the time. I was working on game day morning. I was working on NFL red zone. Occasionally I would do, uh, you know, NFL total access and, uh, I would do the draft show in the Springs. Um, but I, I started doing these little breakdowns basically being like, here's the kind of content that I want to produce for the network. But I had no intention of being the narrator or anything. I was like, look, let's have, you know, Ladanian, uh, you know, break, do this kind of breakdown with like Melvin Gordon, who was my first episode. He was a prospect at Wisconsin at the time. I was like, let's have Ladanian do something like this. And like, I'll write it, I'll produce it, I'll do whatever. And just, you know, have Ladanian say it. Um, and it, I got told repeatedly, like, it's kind of long for a television format. We're not sure if it would work on TV, which they were a hundred percent correct. It would not really work on TV. It's not the right format. Um, but I kept doing these kind of proof of concept videos just kind of tweaking the idea here and there and trying to get better at it and try to like find a way to make it more TV friendly. And it just started getting popular out of nowhere. Uh, and I did not expect it. And then all of a sudden, you know, my, my now wife at the time, she was my fiance. She's like, look, you've, you got a whole bunch of subscribers here and a whole bunch of views and you're not even trying what would happen if you actually, you know, took the leap and did this full time. And so my last day at NFL network was the day before the Patriots Falcon Super Bowl. 
And then uh, the day after that, I started on this channel full time, and luckily it's worked. That's awesome. That's really cool to hear. Uh, did you, uh, you know, and when you got, how'd you get to the NFL Network? Did you like, you know, ha- you sound like, I mean, it sounds like you you could you could coach. You know, you break down film so well. Uh, is did you have that full on football background just growing up, or is just just how how did it evolve? I mean, I've I've always loved the game, um, but when I got to NFL Network and I was able to you know, pick the brains of the players that were walking around. And, mm-hmm. you know, we always used to, if, if you like watch NFL total access or something like that, there's this big kind of curved screen, like made up of like, you know, 20 TVs or something like that. And every single Sunday, the whole network would pile into the stage and there'd be pizzas and we'd be watching every single game on that screen. And I would sit there with like Steve Mariucci and just kind of ask him questions and, I would just learn and learn and learn and I would pick up playbooks and go to coaching clinics. And, you know, anytime like a player came in, I would ask him questions about why they did this or like I always used, used to joke that um, Deion Sanders taught me how to play press coverage because he did because I would literally sit there and ask him. I was like, look, if you if you're getting this leverage or like if he's stepping this way, what do you do? Uh, and so that was that was huge for kind of building my base of football knowledge. And I've just tried to build on that every day ever since for the last four or five years what's your routine like uh, on a given week as you start to get ready for the week oh man it, uh, my work schedule is all over the place uh usually i'm you know i'm watching games all day every sunday and then the games that i don't get to watch on sunday i then watch on monday before the monday night game and hopefully by the end of monday you know late probably nine or 10 o'clock at night, I kind of know what my subject is going to be for the week. And then I'm just grinding film, film, film Tuesday night. I record my podcast, which is called the bootleg football podcast with my buddy EJ. I record that on Tuesday nights. I'm editing that on Wednesday to get that out. And I'm still grinding film while I go. Hopefully I can get a script written by like Thursday uh, and then uh, hopefully I can record it Thursday night, but if not, I got to record it Friday morning and then I'm editing, editing, editing to hopefully get out the episode by Saturday, the next day. Uh, and then I do it all again on Sunday. So it's, 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 it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that I can remember that kind of compares to what you do, you do now is like Ron Jaworski's show, you know, how, uh, you mm-hmm. know, he used to break down a lot of film and, no, that, that used to be like, kind of like the, the place where hardcore fans would go sometimes before NFL network even. Yeah, and he, it was such a good show, NFL matchup. I don't know if it's still on, but it was great. Yeah, uh, Jaws was awesome, and I remember that. Brett, this has been awesome. You, you're so good at breaking this all down. Uh, please, everybody, make sure to check out the Film Room. Check out the Bootleg Football Podcast. Follow Brett on Twitter, at Brett Coleman, K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. Brett, what's your, uh, what's your topic for this week? So this week I'm doing Justin Jefferson because he's having – like not just a great rookie season, but a historically great rookie season, like, you know, Odell Beckham in 2014 quality and potentially even better. Like this, this kid's ridiculously special. Awesome. Can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet. It's Brett Coleman, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, We got Mario and John up tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review, and have a great night. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.